Hey everyone, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. This is a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. Today's guest is Chef Jet Tila. This episode is made possible with the help of our friends at Keurig. Check out their new limited edition Love Blend, everybody, a collection of three craft roasted blends co-created in collaboration with five local roasters across America. One of them, Tectonic, is an LA-based roaster, as is this episode's guest. I love my coffee and I love seeking out small roasters around the country, and I've been fortunate to have had some of these roasters, and I'm super excited to see them collaborate with Keurig. So convenience aside, this is really quality coffee with a lot of love put into it. Also, this limited edition love blend, when you order it, proceeds from your purchase go back to support the five roasters that came together to create them. Talk about supporting local. Also, these K-Cup pods are recyclable. Check locally as they are not recyclable in all communities. To learn more about the limited edition Keurig love blend and their five roasters and to order product, if you're like me and happen to give late holiday gifts, please visit keurig.com backslash love blend and follow them on social media at Keurig. Keurig, we thank you. Hey everyone, today's guest is a chef, restaurateur, TV personality, author, educator, and so much more. I met Chef Jet Tila years ago on set for a Food Network show I was working on. And this guy just exudes the passion to teach and educate and share his knowledge, his wisdom. Something super interesting about him, his parents were in one of the first groups of Thai people that came to America. His father actually started the first Thai market in the history of America shortly after they came here, which they had for about 50 years. Chefs such as Wolfgang Puck used to come and shop at this market when it was one of the only markets to get specialty Asian ingredients. Pretty cool stuff. Chef Jet is always, always, always doing something to contribute to give back. And he does this supporting multiple causes, which we hear about in this episode. Furthermore, Chef Jet Tila has battled the legendary Morimoto on Iron Chef America. He opened the Encore Hotel in Las Vegas. He's guided Anthony Bourdain through countless markets and restaurants. He's an Emmy nominee, James Beard nominee, and best-selling author. He was appointed the inaugural culinary ambassador of Thai cuisine by the Royal Thai Consulate, the first ever chef to represent his country's culture and cuisine. He's the VP of culinary now for Payway Group's 148 restaurants. We hear about how that came about, why that came about, And we actually hear some running water and wok cooking in the background because he took a little break from testing some new dishes, which he also shares a little bit about. Chef Jet has appeared on countless Food Network shows. You may recognize him from that. And he holds six culinary Guinness World Records. All right, everyone, before we get going, we have some awesome merch for you all. Find the link in your podcast player or at beyondtheplatemerch.com. We have those super soft tees and some hoodies and different styles of hats and beanies. So please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with Chef Jet Tila. All right, man, I'm going to test your audio. Can you name 10 Asian noodle dishes for me? Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Pad Thai, Pad Cu, Khao Soy, uh, Ramen. I can just keep saying noodles, noodles, noodles. Sweet, that's good. Man, I'm jumping right in because... Uh, 
I've been around you on, on, on set for some Food Network shows. And I know your talent as a, as a TV personality. And I know you're a talented chef. But, dude, you can teach. <laughs> like, where does that skill come from? Because not everybody can teach. You know, Cappy, you bring up a good point, man. Um, my first passion is teaching, like straight up. Really? Yeah, absolutely. So I never thought I would be on TV or in media. So right out of, I actually got into culinary school. The spark of going to culinary school was my parents had this grocery store for 50 years. It's the first Thai market um, in the history of America. And all these really great chefs would eat there. I mean, go there to shop. I started a little cooking class. Um, out of my mom's backyard in my early 20s just to get by because I dropped out of high school. I was not making it in junior college. After four years of junior college, I'm like, maybe this isn't for me. So I did this little cooking class out of my mom's backyard and the LA Times kind of found out about it, clandestinely attended it. And uh, that's, they wrote this giant cover story. I was like 23 years old. So there's the long answer is I've always had an affinity for teaching people how to cook. And I had no idea that would translate 25 years later to teaching people how to cook on TV. So it's a trip, bro. Totally. And your wife, she was a teacher, am I right? Yeah, Allie Tila was, uh, she has her master's in early childhood education. She worked for Los Angeles Unified School District for 15 years before we got married. And then she went to culinary school. So Yes, we're a pair of teachers that live in this house. So education is very important to us. And yeah, man, like I, I love teaching and it's really, uh, hopefully it shows. But yeah, you've seen me in the context of teaching quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit lately for sure. I, I was on my couch, quite frankly, on, what was it, last Friday night? And you know how you go into those like YouTube or Instagram rabbit holes and you're like, oh, yeah. I... Like here I am an hour or two later. Well, for me, I was on your Instagram page, dude, for two hours yes. on Friday night, literally like watching these videos. I'm like, oh, how good can a video about like a pink pineapple be? But I'm like, this is so cool because you're a good teacher and you know how and what to share. And you started touching on those backyard cooking classes. So how did that, how did that happen? All right. Put yourself in, in the early 2000s, uh, 1999, 98, actually. This is pre, pre-Food Network. So imagine a world that's a whole, like, <laughs> where there's no, there's no YouTube, there's no culinary instruction visually, there's no digital media. Uh, I, my parents had a grocery store. We sold 6,000 SKUs of all Asian products. And I had a really great core group of, you know, what would be back then food nerds. This is pre like internet food. And they'd be like, how do I make pad thai, saute? How do I make all these Thai dishes? And I would verbally spew these recipes. And there were no good cookbooks yet too. This is, you know, man, 25 years ago in English, right? So they were like, yo, you need to visually show us, will you do a cooking class? And in those times, like we had Jacques, we had Julia, we had Martin Yan. Right. This is and then this is pre Ming on East West. Right. So I'm like, I have no idea how to make a cooking class, but I'm like, screw it. Like, let's just let's just do it. You know, I'm too dumb to know, you know, to think about all the barriers that, 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 that could that could impede progress. So I set up a metal eight foot metal table 
two cartridge burners. Like, like I rented some tables, right? So I figured I'd throw a dinner party and I taught three dishes and those three dishes would be, um, kind of into a progressive meal appetizer, main course or main course and a cider. Cause I, I suck at dessert. And it, it was just by this one group of people who were like, I will support this cooking class. And it was literally, I still have the flyers in word doc, $30 to come take a cooking class, have a full meal and hang out for three hours. Do you remember the meal? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the first few for a few were, were literally like saute, right? Pad thai and like, um, sticky rice and mangoes. And then it grew and grew. So I probably had like eight or 10 rotating uh, menus until the LA times got a hold of it. And did people, did they just come in? Was it like a cooking demo? Did they watch in your backyard or was there like a setup where they were cooking or you would teach them and then they would go home and do their thing? Yeah. Because we're a hospitality family, we overdid everything. So I would, let's say you sat Cappy and brought your significant other. I would literally, as I was teaching saute, my mom would carry, and my cousins who I enlisted would carry out platters of saute with peanut sauce. So you, it was literally a full experience and yeah. And then, you know, pad thai, I demo pad thai, but you know, an hour before the class, I would make a bunch of pad thai and keep it in, in, in the oven warming and, and they would serve it out. So it was like a full, this is, and then in the two thousands, Sir Latab and all these, and Williams, you know, all the big, big retailers created these cooking classes, which was my evolution by the way. So I went from that to going to culinary school to teaching at a bunch of places in LA. That's what I was going to ask. You had not gone to culinary school yet when you did these. Barbara Hansen, who was with the LA Times for 30 years, who's their um, uh, ethnic food beat writer, she wrote this story. And I thought it was going to be like a little eighth page. I woke up on a Wednesday morning. I opened the LA Times and it was a full page cover story. And that blew up my world. Like this little kid out of his backyard is featured in the front page of the LA Times food section. I got thousands of phone calls you know what I mean? And I had no idea what to do with it, but that made me realize there was a future in this. This is bigger than just trying to make some beer money and teaching this little cooking class. And that was it. At the time, were you working while you're doing these? So my parents at that time had seven restaurants, a grocery store, a produce company. So my father taught me vertical integration at a very, very early age. And so I would work at all my family's businesses, you know, and yeah. So unbeknownst to me, I was actually, I had like three concurrent, you know, um, apprenticeships, all in food. So I've worked in and around food my entire life. Okay. So let's, you mentioned parents and grocery store and restaurants. So let's go back to what you call your birth luck. <laughs> yeah, sure. Tell me about that. Um, the first group of Thai people came to America in 1966, right? Because um, of America's relationship with Thailand for the Vietnam, in the Vietnam War, right? They were allies. So they opened up a bunch of, you know, uh, and they made immigration very easy. So this giant group of Thais started coming in 1966. And my parents had to be, they, my parents were in that first group. And they didn't know each other. They were separate. separate. They came to America separately. Um, and they met and my father started the first Thai grocery store in the history of America. So, and then some of the first Thai restaurants, the first Thai import company, the first Thai produce company. So, uh, birth luck means I was, I was born into the first Thai food family in America. Like 
everything that has transpired from 1966 to today, the thousands of Thai restaurants, the, what Thai food has become, I was, I got to see it evolve and, and, and around me. So that, and that's part of the birth luck. There's more birth luck stories, but that's one of them. Was the kitchen like the center of the household or were you always at the store or the restaurant? How did that work? We were never home. So my parents, I was born in 75. They started the first grocery store in 72. Um, and then they started the first restaurant in 79. And then that subsequently became seven restaurants and like 10 businesses. So I was raised in the business. And I would, I would get out of school. I would be shuttled. So we, we had, my elementary school was two blocks away from our first restaurant. So I, would, I, was, when I was old enough. And I came from the latchkey generation. So they were like, oh, you're 10. You can just walk to school and walk home. Like, you're fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I grew up in every single business. And that was from age, like, three until, like, 15 or 16 and then after I took over and actually started running some company. Your parents started the market? Were your grandparents here too? My grandparents came after my parents. My parents both came first in their family. My mom was, you know, middle class kid from and they she came for education. My dad was dirt poor and he came because he had to. He got into a lot of trouble in Thailand never finished school and he made a bunch of trouble and he literally had to come but his dad was like you need to leave or you're gonna you're really you're gonna end up dead or in jail so you need to go to go go away wow in the kitchen or growing up as a kid is there a taste or a smell like that brings you back to childhood times yeah and in fact my chef tad right now he's prepping for this thing we're doing it's the smell of wok and garlic Right. It's that smell where oil is about to burn. Like it's a nutty smell. It's a, it's a metallic, nutty, smoky smell. And then when, when chopped garlic hits it, we, we know, we, I see your face. We know that smell. Right. And, and it's that sound that. So that is, that will always take me back to being like a three-year-old in a restaurant, playing on the banquette, being bored, doing side, like, polishing silverware, falling asleep, and then becomes eight years old, make doing homework. Um, and then, and then the smell of Jasmine rice, if you've ever smelled Jasmine rice, not cooked out of the bag, because we would crack containers and unload them and they break all the time. Cause they were really shoddy, you know, um, bags. And so the smell of raw Jasmine rice. So that's my restaurant smell. And that's my market smell. Did you ever cook, um, back when you were a kid? Yeah, uh, immediately, immediately. So when I was three, right, um, when I was home before I was like living at the restaurants, my grandma would basically be my caregiver and we would get up in the morning, you know, on non-restaurant days, take a bus to Chinatown, buy groceries. And she was Chinese. She didn't speak a lick of Thai, right? And then, um, so, and I had a lot of energy. I had a, had a really bad focus like a lot of cooks that we all know, right? Like most of us. So she was like, if you're not going to do your homework, you're not going to behave. I'm going to channel all of your hyper crazy energy into cooking with me. So I started cooking with her from three to let's say six or eight. Then I would help out in the restaurants from eight until, you know, forever. So I started cooking at a really young age. What was the first thing you ever cooked? Do you remember? Yeah, rice. So rice is the first thing I learned how to cook, like wash, put your finger to measure, 
see the cloudy water and then you smell. And my grandma would, so Chinese sausage is lapchion. When the water evaporates to the point where it meets the rice, she would put three to four Chinese sausages, close the, the pot again, and they would steam these sweet, really intense smelling Chinese sausages with white rice. So to this day, I eat plain jasmine rice, steamed Chinese sausages, at least, at least once a week. Amazing. So this extensive family training in uh, Asian cookery, if you will, then you decide to go to Le Cordon Bleu. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, fake Le Cordon Bleu. American Le Cordon Bleu. Let's be real for a second. Let's, I, I, ain't trying to, I ain't trying to front. I'm not flexing. Let's be real. <laughs> why, why this, call it French, you know, education, if you will, in cookery? While I was at the grocery store from age 10 to 20, um, we were the only grocery store, second birth luck story, only grocery store in Los Angeles that had exotic big quotes, then ingredients like lemongrass, Thai lime leaves, curry paste. So Wolfgang, Joachim, the tamales, Preach, uh, everyone had to shop at our, rest, our store, Sang Yoon. I would bag their groceries as a kid and then became the truck delivery guy. And they were all big French chefs, right? They all, right. And uh, I knew then, I knew when I wanted to get serious, if I'm going to, I know Asian food pretty decently, but if I'm going to get taken seriously in America as a chef or in that title, I'd have to formalize my education. I need to frame it around a French culinary education. I wanted to go to the CIA but my grandma just passed away. My parents needed a lot of help at the store. And, and, and I, had, I wanted to go to the best school I could that where I could drive there and still work in my family's businesses in the day and the night. So that's why I went to the school here in LA. Do you think it paid off? A thousand percent. I, don't, I think it paid off. I, you know, I would have loved to have gone away to the CIA and worked in New York for a few years, but I just didn't have that luxury. I needed to stay close and help my family. Okay, we mentioned your wife, Allie Tila, at the beginning of this, who seems like a badass. She's a badass. Allie Tila's a badass. <laughs> sure. Tell us the role she plays in, like, the Tila business and the Tila household. How's that? Yeah, sure. Like, getting, like, brass tacks, like rubber meets road, non-TV talk, Um you know, we have this interesting company that part of it is obviously media, is television, is you know, is, is stuff like that. But my, I've done a lot of work in the last twenty years in other parts of, of food. So we have this company of a consulting company where you know we work with like NBC, Universal, and um, and DreamWorks, and a lot of big national companies to create food products or, or food food places. Um, uh, she's the CFO of the company. Real simple, right? Uh, I'm 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 horrible with money. I don't want to curse. This is I don't know. This is a family friendly thing. I'm really you good can, at you can curse. Okay, oh, I hit that explicit lyrics button. On, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. When I post it, <laughs> let's just keep it family friendly. Um, basically, I can I can make I can make businesses and I can find a lot of money, but I don't. I'm not really good at managing it. And she is phenomenal at taking it all and putting it where it needs to belong to grow. And so she's got that super organized mind. So and practically in the company, she's she, on the media side, on the other end of it, she's also really into pastry. She went to pastry school locally and she's as obsessed with, 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 with pastry. And then at home, she's the boss. I mean, those of us that are married, you know what I mean? I'm her third kid. We have two little kids. I'm the third kid. 
yeah, a lot of energy, too many ideas. Uh, she grounds me. She, 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 she takes all these crazy ideas and, and, and at some point goes, hey, you need to chill out and, and come back to earth. And uh, so we can like really grow and make practical decisions. She's a smart one. Tell me one thing in your life or business that you never question her about. Mm, other than money, which is the first thing, right? And in life, you know, yeah, any ma- massive decisions. Again, I'm the visionary. She's like the practical CEO, CFO. Is there one thing in your life or business that she doesn't question you about? Yeah. How do I say this? Ma- making decisions about the future. Because my mind is always living in the future, unfortunately or fortunately, right? I'm all about what's tomorrow, what's next month, what's next year? Where are we driving to? And she's right now. This is where we need to be. So that's, so she never questions me about the future. And I never question her about right now. What a balance. Yeah. That's amazing. I'd be a mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, your, your Instagram bio says immigrant son, husband, father, and cook. Yeah. Born in LA, born to immigrant parents, as we heard. How has the immigrant experience made you the man and chef you are today? I think this ties right back to birth luck. I don't think, you know, you know, all these up and coming chefs that want to be on TV are always like, what does it take, man? Like, what's it take? Like, it takes a point of view. And my immigrant son upbringing gave me my point of view, my food point of view, right? Being poor, being multicultural, being Thai Chinese, being fascinated with Asian food and really going deep down that rabbit hole has shaped who I am. And also, I think as an entrepreneur, you know, my father was was not well educated, but he was you know, he, 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 he was, he was a really great entrepreneur naturally, inherently, right? Like subsequently I can tell him now what he did was vertical integration. And so that all the, all those things tie back to being an immigrant son. Yeah. Do your two kids have the, the cooking bug in them? My daughter has the cooking bug already. She's eight. I've seen her doing some pastries. Yeah. She'll do pastries. So right now she's, she's making, she just is wearing, you know, we're home a lot. Uh, she's making breakfast uh, at least two, three times a day and she's into it. Yeah. So my son, not yet, but he's, he's five and I'm not a dance mom. You know what I mean? Like I'm not pushing my kids to do anything, but like be good people, work really hard at whatever they want to do. So, but they're, 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 she's into the food. Hey everyone, pardon the brief interruption, but I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Wickles Pickles. Ever since their first shout out a couple weeks ago, I've received quite a few messages from people talking about their love of Wickles, which I love to hear. So cheers to you, Wickles. Their pickles are made using a 90-year-old family recipe and they're made in Alabama. They have two varieties, everyone. First, there's an original Wicked Brine, which is a little sweet with some heat also. And second, they have a Dirty Dill line, which is more of your classic old dill flavor pickle. Each line, each flavor has a number of different products under it. Personally, I love their jalapeno relish and their sandwich bread. Please do me a favor and seek these two things out. They're incredible on sausages, pulled pork sandwiches, burgers, really anything between a bun. Here's what I also love about Wickles Pickles. 
Wickles believes in giving back to their community through donating food and other resources. They support various organizations, including food banks and community food programs, as well as disaster relief efforts. To learn more about Wickles Pickles and their whole line of products, please visit wicklespickles.com and follow them on social media at Wickles Pickles. Wickles, we thank you. Okay, so your book, 101 Asian Dishes You Need to Cook Before You Die. Incredible. Oh, too um, kind. I've been waiting and looking for this book. Alton Brown says, this is the most practical guide to getting Asian flavors on the plate that I've ever seen, which is enormous coming from a man who puts the amount of time and effort into a ingredient. And I'm going to keep going here. In our virtual cooking camp we did this summer, you taught perfect jasmine rice and beef and broccoli, which I've never gotten so many calls from friends who are obsessed with these dishes. Like literally, I think we did that class on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And my one friend Noah is like, yo, I'm making that dish tonight. And then he called me the next night. He's like, I made beef and broccoli again. I was like, all right, dude. (laughs) Go at it. So beef and broccoli is a pretty classic dish, yes? Yeah, Chinese-American dish. Absolutely. What's your strategy to keep it exciting in the kitchen? What what I think is exciting, uh, I think the things that I impart onto people. So Bobby Flay, small backstory that is funny, not name drop, but uh, he hit me. He was watching the class that we that you hosted, we did, and he hits me right after. He's like, that was pretty awesome. Uh, and so, so what I do for people is being a restaurant kid my entire life, I'm trying to teach people the way restaurant people cook food. And the only way you're going to get the restaurant taste is to do all those little hacks and tricks that restaurant people do. The problem has been, in my opinion, the last 50 years. When you try to take a dish that you love that you eat at a restaurant and you try to like homify it and like bring it down to two basic uh, of, of ingredients and techniques, it's never going to taste the same. So you walk away from 90% of recipes going, that just tastes like nothing like I get from the restaurants. So when I teach you to marinate your beef in baking soda, cornstarch, oil, and soy sauce, what they're doing in the restaurants. When I teach you to fry that beef in the, in the pan first, it's mimicking the deep fryer that they might be using. And when I teach you to jumpstart that broccoli in the microwave, it's just like flash you know, blanching next to my walk, I have a blancher. So I'm just teaching people the, the hacks and the tips that restaurant chefs use. And I think that's exciting. And that's new to them. Although they've been doing it for a hundred years in the, in the Chinese stir fry, no one's ever taken it and been like, here's the no BS how, the way that people do it. So that's what I think I'm trying to do. Okay. So that's interesting. Can we talk? I've, I saw this somewhere recently, maybe it was your social about payway. Yeah. For what, sure. The fast casual agent. So, so tell me about your relationship with Payway. What, what, yeah. Let's start there. All right. Again, Cappy's asking, you ask real questions, bro. I'm not going to lie. Like, no offense to other cast pods, but they're very fluffy. Like you go right for real realism. Uh, I'm going to get a lot of emails for that. But anyway, but um, <laughs> so my buddy is a phenomenal entrepreneur. He bought, he bought Payway. He bought the, the company and we've known each other for years. And he's like, do you, is this beneath you? Do you want to get in on this? And I'm like, I would love to get in on this again. Take something that's Americanized Asian food, bring some really awesome technique from like down and dirty and really authentic. And let's get this 
let's do this. So yes, I am the culinary VP partner in Payway now, but it's more than just like a paycheck, dude. It's like, I get to take this brand who's already have 150 restaurants and I get to put my food there and I get to believe in it. And, and, you know, and as a job, I did 25 years in restaurants. I've done hotels, I've done institutions, I've done, you know, brick and mortars. I want to chill, dude. Like, <laughs> so my buddy teaches me how to control 150 restaurants from a culinary point of view, from a PL point of view, from an experiential point of view. And I teach the entire company. I get in deep and I'm now integrated into making new dishes that are, that are my cooking. This is very simple. I hope, I hope that explains it, but it's just a fun project for me. It does. And it's exciting because there was a payway near me, which I don't think is open anymore, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and what it, was bringing to the table for people. But I think what you're going to do with it is even more incredible because as I've seen you talk or write about, you know, people think different Chinese food or Asian cookery in general is just a lot of soy sauce and they say everything tastes the same. And when you talk about the balance of flavors and how all these different cuisines have their own ingredients to help balance these flavors. So if you could open people's eyes to that, I think you will, not if you can, you will open people's eyes to that. And I think that's incredible. Yeah. And you know, and I can make Thai food there and I can make Korean food there and I can play with flavors there. And so, so yeah. And we're at a point where people watch me on TV, they read books and I'm like, look, I can, I can, I can cook for you. And they're always like, I can, there's no jet dealer restaurant. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to put a ton of energy in a one restaurant where you got to fly to, like, I can be in a lot of different places through my, my, my work in payway. So people have probably picked up on this by now already, but I'll say at the beginning of quarantine, I think a lot of people were like going at a speed 10. And some people slowed down a little to like six or seven. Like, what am I going to do? But I think you went to like a 13. (laughs) (laughs) I went to to one like everyone else for about eight weeks. And then we went to 15. Yeah. And then you kicked it into like super high gear. But I mean, whether it's classes, uh, charity work, consulting, payway stuff, I'm sure you've been putting plenty of hours into. You said your wife grounds you. But what makes you feel, does anything make you feel overwhelmed? or stress? Oh, you know, Cappy, I, I, I did hit my overwhelm point this, um, this, this quarantine. So yes, when I, you know, again, I measure capacity, right. And I, and I try to live in that 90 to 100. Sometimes I'll go into 110 Ville, like I'm a little stretched. It will be officially, I've been busier through quarantine, in quarantine than I've ever been in my life. Like even when I was opening that hotel in Vegas, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I felt very overwhelmed. We took on, cause I was in fear being a good Chinese guy, worrying about where my paychecks were going to come from. I got scared and then I took too much and then, and then more work opened up. So we were doing content. Well, so you're human. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't believe it. I feel human for the first time. <laughs> my wife should be on this call. She would give you like the biggest hug for Making me acknowledge that I'm human. Yeah, dude, I got crushed. I got crushed. Well, so. how do you deal with it? How do you how do you ba- well how do you balance your work and how did you deal with it? I freaked the f out for a few weeks, and like many humans, my my family, my wife and kids were like, "You you are you are exhibiting uh, behaviors. Uh, you need to calm down." 
which are indicative of you being overworked. And like, I've got my, my, you know, I chef Tad. So we have, we have a team of three, right? We have a team of us and like, we were just, we were over max. So how I deal with it first, my, 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 my family smacks me around and says, you need to calm down. And then I start to say this word that's really difficult to a lot of us. people. No, I learned how to say no. So I, I had to start to say no. <laughs> that's a good thing. But when you realize the pandemic wasn't going away so soon, what role did you think you were going to play as a chef? Wow, that w- I was really lost for those first eight weeks because everything was so down. So it was therapeutic to connect with people, right? I think we all needed social interaction. So I started that by doing lives, Right. Every few days I would check in on Instagram and Facebook. And and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to just teach you guys free cooking classes for my sanity. So I started cooking a ton and I needed to, you know, uh, first of all, I wanted to make sure my family was fine and my kids were okay. Right. This is the, now I had to take care of me and this is the going into taking care of me. So what role, my role, AI had to stay sane. And then uh, ironically, or actually what happened from all of that, content creation and and reaching out to people companies are like this guy is busy he's doing things and uh they're like we're going to use him to do things for us so that i always say like you know energy begets energy and like you know yeah so so i don't know how to answer exactly what my role was other than to not go crazy got to get depressed to the point where i was ineffective and, and it all worked. I usually don't go this route on Beyond the Plate, but I know you're about gadgets and your kid. You could, you need to. No, no, my chef is setting up. We have a virtual three o'clock with the with Payway. So yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's ahead of me. I go from hanging out with you to pre-pro to this other thing, but no, we're, we're good. Can, he's, he's can we tease, can we tease some dishes or are we, are we yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Not at all. No, no, not at all. Um, no, we're, we're doing, uh, uh, again, people might find this interesting, but yeah, we're doing, we're doing social like influencer, um, uh, uh, events virtually now. So we'll pull them into a, a zoom room and we sent the people there and they ate. And now when they get to do a, Q, a personal Q and a, while I do with some demos. So I'm going to do the, the, the spicy basil chicken cashew. I'm going to do the, the Thai coconut curry and I'm going to do the, the, Korean um, gochujang steak dish, and yeah, so these sound interesting. Go check it out. I'm not, 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 not. I'm totally not trying to, to to pimp or anything like that. This is your show. This is about. I'm all about content. I want to make sure people like learn stuff. So that's good. I love it. I love it. Gadgets. I want to talk about <laughs> gadgets, man, because I know your kitchen's like set up at home, which is your studio, which is your classroom, which yeah. is your. You know, who knows? Maybe you sleep in there some nights. I don't know. When Allie's mad at me, I do. I, I, I sleep right here. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, because people ask me this all the time, and it's one of the things I do not have. Top three uses for an air fryer. Oh yeah. Firstly, let's be let's be real, and and I need to I need to uh, piggyback up Al- Alton Brown sentiment. It doesn't fry because there's no oil in it. But that being said, I I will go heads up with my mentor and say it is one of the items I use the most. So top three uses, right? It gives you restaurant level convection heat, meaning you can reheat and brown and crisp all at the same time. You can actually, because it's such a concentrated chamber of 
of hot air. You can actually um, roast incredibly fast. You can turn down the roast, turn down the fan, and like roasting vegetables, like root vegetables, uh, like sweet potatoes or um, any of those parsnips, usually take an hour, an hour and 15 minutes to get brown and soft and tender. The convection oven does that in one third of the time. So roasting, um, crisping, and I have one without mentioning the brand that has a grill insert, which I recommend because you know what, I, I just punched out burgers for my daughter's lunch in five minutes. And so I drop the, the patties raw season. Four minutes later, I put the cheese on and next to it, I put the buns on and that's an extra 30 seconds. Like quick cooking, like really fast cooking. If you understand convection and what really high heat can do, um, and you can, you, can, you can get a brown crust on anything. You can cook fish from frozen and chicken. I do chicken wings, any proteins from frozen to cook within 15 minutes. Like it's incredible. It's incredible. Air fryer. So there you go. There's my air fryer thing. You may yeah. have changed my, my <laughs> mind. I need your point of view on a walk for home use mm. because personally, if someone mentions it to me, I'm like, just use a big skillet. Cause I, I, I think I have a big, beautiful stainless steel, like great name brand walk. I honestly think I've used it once and I should give it to someone who may use it. But is there a place for a walk in a standard home kitchen that doesn't have the fire under it that a restaurant does? No, to, to real simply, no, Cappy. You are absolutely right. I think the, your Dutch oven is your best walk alternative because it's a unit. It's a multitasker. So I don't own... I. I only own the walk that your class got me. <laughs> so we did when we did camp, they sent me a walk. And in, in, in all my years of cooking, I have a walk that my grandma gave me. It lives in the garage and I never pull it out. So the walk, best walk alternatives are two. Number one is your Dutch oven, right? Enamel Dutch oven, your Staub, Le Creuset, Lodge, just to name the big three so no one gets butthurt. Right. And then, um, and secondly, a, a saucier or a large skillet with at least two to three sides, because to your point, we will never, we don't cook enough Asian food daily to justify this nine to 15 inch um, pan that takes up too much real estate. So I'm not about needing to own a walk. I always, I've written in my books, Dutch enamel Dutch oven, best walk alternative. Better, in fact, because of the heat sources we have in American kitchens. That's a great tip. And then lastly, I know you are all about the coffee. And I'm just saying this only because you say you got to keep caffeinated, only because they're a partner of ours this season. So no need for you to it? say it. it. No, no, go for it. It's, it. So it's Keurig, but I'll tell you, because I'm I like to say I went from zero to coffee snob like very quickly when I lived above a incredibly delicious coffee shop in Chicago. Um, but they actually have a new limited edition collection they're doing with these like five different craft roasters around wow. the country. It's something they never really do. And all the, all the proceeds are going back to these roasters to support, you know, during these times. So if you or your chef needs um, some of that, it's Send called Love Run Coffee. Yeah, yeah I love some in way. Sounds good, keep, man. Yeah. Keep, keep you caffeinated. So social impact. I want to talk about this because you are incredibly kind and giving and all of our guests on Beyond the Plate give back uh, to their community in different ways. And you know this because chefs are incredibly generous. 
and your charitable efforts are quite impressive too. So can you just tell us, generally speaking, about some of the work you do or projects you support? Yeah, um, I, I'd love to. My brother is a police officer, uh, not too popular right now, but my a, a group of friends that I grew up with are military and police. So um, just some specific charities that I support. One is called Spike's Canine Fund. Um, my buddy Jimmy Hatch was a Navy SEAL for many, many years. And, you know, uh, he was a canine handler while he was there. And uh, his charity focuses on um, obtaining a bulletproof vest for canine working dogs. Uh, canines for Warriors, uh, they take they take rescue dogs, train them into service dogs for veterans that come back with PTSD, uh, military sexual trauma, a TBI, traumatic brain injury. So I have an extensive group, group of friends who, you know, kept us safe for many, many years during the worst times in the last 30 years. And uh, I find it that it, I, f- I find it that it's my, my mission to give back. So I also raise money for No Kid Hungry. I also raise money for um, St. Jude's. So th- those four are really my big, my big focus. But um, I actually, you know, I, I actually do a lot of uh, volunteer work. So for through COVID and post-COVID, schools with culinary programs that don't have a lot of money, if they reach out to me and I have time, I'll do culinary demos for them. And I, I'm sending hundreds of books a week to people so they can raise money and sell them off and stuff like that. So That's amazing. So was there a particular moment in your personal or professional life that instilled a sense of giving on you? For, for the military stuff, my one of, my, one of the kids that was very close to my family you know, he went off, he became a Marine and, and did a few bunch of tours. And, you know, he came back with a lot of PTSD. And this is a kid that, you know, I almost, I helped raise. And I was with him for a lot of his teenage years until he became an adult. Then he enlisted and went off. And I saw the effects of the trauma, the effects of trauma, uh, military trauma from, from being deployed. And, and you know, and, and I, I, that was it. It was, it was, it was very impactful for me, you know, like, and so, so yeah, that, again, that's just, this is what I, it's just the calling that I have. You know what I mean? I'm happy to help anyone, but I have a specific calling for military and police uh, charities. Well, I wanted to give you, you've named some great organizations. We do this moment where we let you shed some light on an organization or fund that you want to raise awareness for. You've named some great ones, but is there is there someone or an organization that moved you recently that you want to shout out? No, yeah, I did. And I appreciate you, Cappy, that if you guys do go to spikesk9fund.org, uh, you could read uh, James Hatch's story and he has a book called uh, Touching the Dragon. And, you know, trauma is trauma. That's another thing I kind of want to call mental health and trauma. I think that um, I think a lot of us as cooks, I think what pushed us into cooking and this camaraderie and this family of cooking uh, has been trauma. And, you know, I've had my fair share. And and I think what I've learned from my, a lot of my veteran friends um, who've come back from war is, you know, the effects are pretty similar. They've been through a lot worse and they would, they would, they would say no, by the way, they would say trauma is trauma. So I just want to raise awareness to, you know, you could be a tough guy, but you could feel your feelings. And I think I learned that really, really late in my life. So, you know, if, if we're all going through a lot of stuff and if you just take a little bit of time and, and just kind of tune into your, to your social and emotional kind of needs, I think that, I think that 
can push all of us into being just better people, better citizens, better family members, better, better friends. So, so that's it. Uh, I'm getting off my, 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 my soapbox. <laughs> Preach, man. Preach. I'll, I love it. That's fantastic. But I think you raise a good point, even, you know, whether it's going to the canine site to check out what they're up to, maybe it inspires you, maybe you learn a story, maybe it moves you to give a dollar give a give an hour of your time use your voice i think you know i i, I repeat this but i'm not going to stop repeating it any way you do that is you're, you're going to make a difference for someone so what, whether your karma you, make. yeah yeah right? yeah i mean you're sending books out that's you know they're going in auctions or someone's learning to cook from them at the end of the day i mean there's a whole domino effect there yeah so. cooking is amazing man because it's therapeutic it's also a life skill. So that's why I'm also into teaching. I mean, it's something that I have inside me and if I can help someone with it in any way possible, I mean, th that's what I'm going to do because, you know, I, again, if, if you've got a skill or a gift and you're not, you're not sharing that, you know, I, I do very good in life and I appreciate that. So the way to give back is to, if, if anyone needs help, I'm always around to help. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, let's do a quick speed round here. What did you have for dinner last night? Oh, what did I have for dinner last night? Um, <laughs> chips guacamole salsa <laughs> it was a it was a it was a, it was a it was one of those nights man we were busy so scrounging we talked to michael simon in this season and he said oh i had bolognese with parpadella and I'm, in my head i'm like man sounds delicious and he's like but it was cold uh out of the fridge you know. <laughs> yeah no no we, we have two kids two dogs bro so it was, it was quick and I, got, and I got i think i got a vegetable roll or something like that from from like from like the grocery store it was nothing nothing sexy but satiating <laughs> there you go uh name a smell in the kitchen you love uh, other than garlic. Ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm in the savory zone right now. Um, another s smell that I love. Oh, um, uh, caramel, burnt, burnt sugar. How's that? Mm. Name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Oh, man. I don't know if there is one. Uh, I don't know if there is one. Um, oh, you know, I don't like the smell of roasting peppers. Like that char yeah, charred pepper smell. What pisses you off in the kitchen? <laughs> People who don't clean up after themselves. Clean as you work and work clean, dude or dudette. <laughs> what makes you happy in the kitchen? Just people like feeding people. Yeah, it could be my, my dog, my wife, my kids. It doesn't matter. But, you know, people smiling because I've made something and they've enjoyed it. Speaking of which, in your book, 101 Asian Dishes You Need to Cook Before You Die, tell us the number one dish we all should know how to make. Everyone. Or top three. Okay. Everyone needs to learn how to make fried rice. Like you have to learn how to make fried rice, right? Because there's so many variants. It's a one plate meal. It's got everything in it. Um, everyone must learn how to make Korean short ribs. And everyone should learn how to make quick pho because you can be eating pho in 30 minutes. And I know you're going to give me a hard time. Not you, but people have, people have doubted, but they've come around. So you know what I mean? You, so those are the three dishes you should eat out of Got it. Got it. One or two more and then we'll wrap. Um, for a young cook who wants to do it all, they've seen you do uh, it all. Where should they start? Just um, for a young cook first, cook as much as you can at home. And then if you can get a job at a restaurant, because uh, you, you cannot, you can't buy the information that you're learning working. You can't buy that. So barring local labor laws and, yeah, and all that other stuff, 
If you can just sit there and like work in a restaurant one to a few nights a week, it's going to change your life. Not just the, what you're going to learn cooking wise, but just the, a restaurant and a, and a food business has its own energy. You know what I mean? And you need to understand that energy because it's, it, it just scales up or scales down, but it, it, you, you'll learn really quickly if this is really how you want to dedicate your life. Cause it is a brutal amount of hours and years before anything becomes of it. And, and you need to know if you can do it or not. Yeah. Are there any young cooks or chefs that like you have your eye on in the industry? It's such a hard time now being that we're not out as much as we usually are, but yeah, you're right. Cappy. It's a weird time. And you know, in my, my, in my mid forties now getting to my late forties, I'm not out in the brick and mortars anymore. So I'm not, you know what I mean? My, my, my perspective has changed quite a bit, but um, let me think on that. I can't think of anyone right now, you know, because I think it's hard to see people right now. So hmm, I'll think about that one. Yeah. All good. All right. Let's close it out here. If your grandmother were here today and you were able to cook in her kitchen again, as you wanted to do, what are you making for her? Oh man. Um, you know, my, all Asian families in Los Angeles eat at Lowry's the prime rib for special occasion days because it's some of the foods they don't know how to make. And so I would sit there and roast off a uh, really beautiful rib roast from Snake River Farms, make a phenomenal au jus and just this, this normal fixings, mashed potatoes and, and like cream corn and uh, Asian kids will understand that or okay, probably ethnic kids will understand that. It's that we grew up with all these phenomenal foods. We don't realize that are phenomenal till really late in life, but we don't know how to make the fundamental, like the basics of, of a really good Sunday lunch. So that's what I would make her. Yeah. Awesome. Jude, thank you for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. I know you're busy. I hope you had fun. I'm excited to cook from this book literally tonight. I, I, I've been like waiting for this book and I don't know why I didn't have it on my shelf um, and on my counter, I should say yet. But keep kicking ass, man. You're, you're an inspiration and all you do to give back to the community and watching you on social media as a father. It's, I love it. It's great. Thanks, Kevin. So, keep thank keep you. doing this, man. There's not enough thoughtful positive content and and you do that so so thank you for taking it seriously and it's not just not finger guns right it gets deeper than (laughs) finger guns so hey thank you for getting deeper than finger guns yeah man you got it thank you later brother thanks again to chef jet tila Find more on him at chefjet.com. If you want to learn more about some of the organizations he mentions, I highly encourage you to seek those out. They are called Spikes Canine Fund, Canines for Warriors, No Kid Hungry, and St. Jude's. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Cappy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetton, and Sean Petrosian. Thank you to Sarah McClellan Me for her digital media skills. Our music has been composed by Gold Ford. As always, special shout out to my wife, Katie. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Don't forget to join us this Friday for another episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast of Beyond the Plate, made possible with the help of our friends at Deep Eddie Vodka. We're back with master mixologist, the legendary Tony Abuganem. He's got a perfect cocktail for us for holiday time. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy. And remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.